Welcome to Living Stones Church. We pray that this message impacts and touches your heart in such a great way. Enjoy the message. Hello. Hey! There we go. Here, Beth. Your papers. Well, good morning, family. So, I don't know about you, but it's a good day. Do you guys know it's Palm Sunday? Can somebody say, Hosanna? (laughs) Right? Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, we are going to start in Luke 10. So while you're flipping there, who are my breakfast people? Who who here loves breakfast? Yes, you guys are my people. When I wake up in the morning, I have one thing on my mind usually. You know what it is? What's for breakfast? (laughs) And Dustin hates it. He's not a breakfast person. He could go and never, ever eat breakfast ever again. And then we had two boys, and their first question usually is, what's for breakfast? So they're my people, too. So breakfast, that is like the one thing on my mind on every morning, pretty much, right? So even if we're in a rush, I'm like, grab a banana, grab an apple, something, something, or I'm not as pleasant or productive. Wisdom, really, is what it is. Wisdom, yes. Right? But one thing, I have one thing on my mind. So say to your neighbor, today's message is called One Thing. One Thing. thing. I need a paperweight. It's okay. It's okay. It's actually, give me a, no, you you keep your word. Okay. (laughs) No, it's okay. I'll just do this. I have it all written right here. You guys won't judge me if I don't have my Bible open, right? Oh, my goodness. Okay, one thing, one thing, one thing. So we have been talking about simplify to strengthen, right? And I get the honor of wrapping up and putting a nice little bow on this series, which is super cool. I was actually supposed to preach a couple of weekends ago, and then the boys got sick, and so I had to stay home, and then Justin preached. So my message that I had um, was already kind of – structured in a way and then I realized I was going to be preaching today which is Palm Sunday and I'm like oh man like I have to get rid of my message and do a different message for Palm Sunday and then God's like oh no 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 I got you so I'm super excited because God already knew I was going to preach today and um, in this series so simplify to strengthen so how how do we take all of what he has preached on simplify to strengthen and how do we keep it simple how do we do that right We have been talking about it for seven weeks. This is week eight, which can kind of seem a little bit complicated because there's like, right? But how do we keep it simple, right? So I want to start in Luke 10, starting in verse 38. And it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing. I mean, Jesus is at her house. I mean, you got to feed him, right? Like hospitality 101, right? So who can blame her? She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? Yeah. <laughs> Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, and I just see this, like, endearing look that he must have given her. My dear Martha, 
you are worried and upset about over all of these details, there is only one thing. Say one thing. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. Say, go Mary. Go Mary. Go Mary. Right? Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So I want to point out a few things here. Okay? First of all, Jesus is in Mary and Martha's house. Amazing. Right? I don't know if you've ever had somebody important come to your house, but when you're a host, like, you want to make sure every detail is just right. Who can blame Martha for preparing and doing all this and then looking at Mary and being like, girl, I need your help. Like, the table's all set and there's honey in the world. Like, what are you doing, right? I can totally understand Martha's perspective, right? But Mary decides that that is less important and she's going to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? She positions herself at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to what he's saying. Now, I love that it specifies that she's sitting at his feet because nobody can move without using their feet so if he were to get up and move somewhere she would know right and I think that if we can keep our eyes and keep our positioning in a way that we are at Jesus's feet where we're focused on the movement of Jesus and what he is doing that we will not miss out and it says here that there is only one thing worth being concerned about He doesn't even say what it is because isn't it obvious? Right? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Being with him, being in his presence, watching his every move, listening to his every word. Right? Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Why? Why won't it be taken away from her? Because she's positioned. She is positioned in a way that she's not going to miss it. Right? Martha is distracted with all of the details. She's overwhelmed. How many of us have been in that situation where we have been distracted, we've been overwhelmed, and we find ourselves not in a position of being at Jesus' feet, and we're missing it. We are missing it. I find the more that I do, the more that I say yes to, the more detail-oriented that I can become about something, maybe even obsessive about things, the more I find that I have somehow drifted away from the feet of Jesus. And he's so patient and he's so endearing in saying, oh, dear Martha, my dear Martha. He doesn't rebuke her. He's talking to her with love and saying, no, no, my dear. (laughs) Like she has found something. Mary has found something. Come on. He's inviting her to come and to participate, right? I love Mary, and it says that her posture was that she was sitting at his feet. She was low. (laughs) She was humble. She recognized that she had to go low in order to be able to hear and to be able to position herself at the feet of Jesus. You have to go low. You have to stay humble, right? It's a position of humility, watching the movement of Jesus. So... If you and I were to identify one thing (laughs) in our lives, what would it be? Would it? Would it really be Jesus? If we're honest with ourselves, maybe it changes every day. Maybe it changes every hour, right? (laughs) Would Jesus be able to say we had found the one thing and it could not be taken away from us? 
would that be true in our lives? Or if we allowed the world to dictate our schedule, our calendar, our thoughts, our movement, our eyes, are we focused on Jesus? Are we positioned at his feet in a place of humility, recognizing that we don't have all the answers? We don't know. We don't even care what's for dinner. Martha wasn't even concerned about her next meal, as unlike me, with breakfast. <laughs> right? Jesus should be the first thought in my mind, right? But, oh, no, I'm worried about breakfast. Right? That's such a practical thing, but it's true. Right? And so we find ourselves in this moment of, man, what is the one thing? What is the filter in which we run every decision, every moment, every thought should go through the filter of that one thing? And if that one thing is Jesus, you think it's going to be a better outcome for our lives, regardless of the circumstances, right? So what in our lives can we simplify so that we can strengthen our position with Jesus? Maybe there are some details that we have concerned ourselves with that we need to cut out of our lives in order to simplify our life so that we can strengthen our position. That's your first point today. P is for position. Position. Remember your position. When we're talking about simplifying to strengthen, remember your position. How can you position yourself? You have to eliminate some things. You have to get out of your mind all of the details, all of the demands of the world and the people around you, and just position yourself at the feet of Jesus. Simplify to strengthen your position with Jesus. So after this takes place, and I love, like, the story doesn't even continue. You don't even get to see if they ate dinner, if, like, Martha, like, you know, tossed over the table and decided to, like, they don't even go into detail about that. But in the meantime, some time after this, um, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, dies. He dies, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of that scripture, but long story short, Jesus comes to the rescue, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Say what? Right? Super cool, right? So raises Lazarus from the dead, and then they decide we're going to host Jesus again for dinner. Okay? So let's read this next scripture together. This is in John 12, and it says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Was she not listening? Come on. Like, I mean, what, what do you say? Where do we find Martha? She's serving. Now, let me back up. There's nothing wrong with serving. We all should serve Jesus, right? But it just seems a little bit strange that they had this conversation recently. He spoke to her directly saying, oh, no, Mary's doing the right thing, and what are you doing? And then, you know, Jesus revives her brother, and she, Martha, served. Okay. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So you got this guy who just came out of the grave. Maybe he still stinks. Who knows? Okay. 
But Martha's serving. Lazarus is eating with them. Then in verse 3 it says, then Mary. Say, go Mary. Go Mary. Go Mary. Yep. So then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, which might have been a good thing with Lazarus being there. We don't know. (laughs) Just saying. Okay, but verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said the money or that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he had often stole some for himself. So who's this guy chirping up and condemning her when he's, you know, anyways. Verse 7, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So again, we find Jesus correcting someone who is calling Mary out and saying she's doing something that's irritating yet again. Sometimes in this life, when we do something because we feel compelled by Jesus, There's always people that are going to say, you shouldn't have done it that way. You shouldn't be doing that. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. What are you doing? Because a lot of times, most of the time, God doesn't really work in a nice logical square box. So when we're following Jesus, a lot of times it looks crazy. I mean, there's no other way to say it, right? So you got Martha over here saying you should be doing this, and then you've got Judas over here saying you shouldn't be doing that, right? And both times, Jesus comes to her defense and saying, no, no, she did the right thing yet again. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. He knew he was about to die. He knew his time was coming. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, is he saying not to support the poor and do all those things? No. Just like he wasn't telling Martha we shouldn't have dinner. What he is saying is remember the one thing. Keep the one thing, the one thing that shouldn't be taken away from Mary, right? Or any of us, right? So here we see Mary and Martha again. Martha's serving, and where is Mary? At his feet, right? So position, again, where did she position herself? At his feet, yet again. Yet again. So scripture can be a little bit confusing. This is where people think that the Bible is contradictory or it doesn't make sense because you've got four different perspectives people telling the same story from their perspective right so I want to break down scripture just a little bit and for the sake of time I'm not going to read every single story if you want the actual verses come see me I have them okay but I want you to see this so in the Bible Jesus is anointed by women three different times okay and it gets really confusing because Two times, it was at the house of Simon, but they weren't the same Simon, so that gets confusing. And two times, it was by a woman who was unnamed, which also gets confusing, right? And then the one that is named is named Mary, and there's like 1,800 other Marys, (laughs) right? So it's hard to know. Is that Mary Magdalene? Is that Mary, the the mom of Jesus? Like, it's hard to unpack all of that and not have your brain turn into noodles, right? So... In Luke 7, this is early in his ministry, Um, it's in the house of a Pharisee named Simon, and a sinful woman hears about Jesus eating at this Pharisee's house, and so 
um, the sinful woman comes and she anoints his feet with oil and with her tears. And the Pharisees are upset because this sinful woman is touching Jesus. And Jesus is allowing it. Okay, so that's the first time. This is early on in his ministry. Um, Theologians believe that um, John the Baptist was still alive when this happened. And so that kind of tells you this is like the first year of his, his ministry. The second time it happened was in John 12, which is what we just read about. So this is right before his triumphant entry, like the Palm Sunday thing that we celebrate, right? This happened in the house of Lazarus. So Mary was the sister of Lazarus, okay? Not Mary Magdalene, not the mother of Jesus, Mary. The Mary, the Mary who is the sister of Lazarus. Does that make sense? Am I losing you? Okay, so she anointed his feet, but it doesn't say that she cried. But Judas is the one now that has scoffed at her for what she's done. This is before he betrays Jesus, of course, as we all know. And then the third time that this happens is documented in Matthew 26 and also Mark 14. Okay? So then the third time it happened is after the triumphant entry in the house of Simon. Now, not Simon the Pharisee. This is Simon, a former leper. Okay? So the leper, this guy named Simon, he had leprosy. Jesus healed him of leprosy. And then now Jesus is in his home. Okay? So you guys see the differences? Okay, and the third time, it was an unnamed woman, and she anointed his head with oil. And the disciples, not just Judas, more than one disciple, scoffed at what she was doing, which is kind of interesting, and I could break that down, and maybe Judas had somehow convinced some of the other disciples that what they had seen prior was was wrong, and so then when they saw it happen again, I don't know, right? Um, but it, it's interesting there. But I wanted to point out there was three separate times and three separate women that did that. So anointing in those days, right, that's kind of a churchy word, anointing, right? Um, so anointing was when you put oil on someone, either their feet or their hands or their head. And it was to recognize the Lord's divine calling on their lives. It was a physical recognition of their particular role or office that they would hold. So these women were expressing their adoration for him. They were expressing deep love and respect and even worship for Jesus, right? They weren't priests. They weren't high, you know, religious leaders in a position to anoint someone. It was out of their own adoration and love for Jesus that they didn't care what anybody else was doing, saying, thinking. They didn't even care about the worth of the perfume. They wanted to give him all of what they had, what was most valuable maybe in that whole home, right? But they were pouring it out out of adoration. So when we recognize who Jesus is, don't you think we should be willing to pour out what's most valuable, right? The things that are most valuable. We shouldn't be like those that scoff. But how often do we find ourselves doing that to ourselves, beating ourselves up or holding maybe somebody else back because we don't understand what they're doing? But it's out of adoration, out of worship for our God. When we honor God with, with adoration and recognize the office that he holds in our lives, we give him authority, right? So that's your next point. A is for adoration. We want to simplify our lives to strengthen 
ourselves. We need to keep the position and our adoration in check, right? So P for position, A for adoration. So like I said, this was part of the message that I had written before, and then I found out I was preaching Palm Sunday, and it was like God said, just keep reading. So we're still in John 12. We just read verses 1 through 8. A couple verses later in John 12, verse 12, it says, the next day. So the next day referring to the next day after Mary had anointed his feet, okay? So the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. So let me point out something, okay? So there was a large crowd of Passover visitors. So they were visiting because of Passover, which gave them a unique, what? Position. (laughs) Okay? Then they took palm branches, which in that day, palm branches signified victory. And so they took palm branches, and they went down to the road to meet him to express what? Adoration. Are you guys seeing this? This is so stinking cool. So they shouted, praise God to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. In Matthew, Matthew uh, 21, verse 8, he illustrates it this way. He said, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So laying down garments and leaves (laughs) so that Jesus, riding on a donkey in all humility, could walk on their garments and leaves instead of dirt. Did he expect that? Did he ask for it? (laughs) But see, the people, their faith was not in their garments, in their earthly possessions. Their faith wasn't even in those palm leaves, but they used it as a way to express adoration for him. (laughs) Their faith wasn't even in their comfort. Don't we find comfort in our earthly possessions? And the things that are familiar to us, we find comfort in those things, right? But their faith wasn't in their comfort. But their faith was in their Messiah. And so they decided that they were going to lay down whatever they had, whether it was palm branches or their garments, they were going to lay it down for him because they were in the right position and out of adoration. Then in Matthew 10, Jesus is quoted saying, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Sound familiar, right? How many of us cling to what we think we know? The things of this world. The physical things that maybe we can see and feel and touch. And we cling to those things because we feel that they are certain. (laughs) But what did he say could not be taken away from Mary? The one thing, not the earthly possessions, not the dining set that they had pulled out for him, 
of one thing. It wasn't earthly possessions. It wasn't the comforts of this world. It wasn't even friendships. As valuable as those are, and as much as Jesus wants us to have good friendships and good relationships, it wasn't even that. He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. The more we try and hold on, the more we try and grip onto things, the more we lose it. This whole series has been about simplifying to strengthen. And what have we been talking about? Having our hands open and letting God do what he wants to do. Recognizing all the fluff (laughs) is not necessary. Is it nice? Absolutely. I love marshmallows on my hot chocolate. Are they necessary? No. Okay. (laughs) But Jesus is helping us to understand that the more that we cling to the things that we understand in our merely human minds, the more that we will lose the things of the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about our life here on this earth. He's talking about our souls, the eternal things that matter. But if you give up your life, for me, you will find it. Meaning, if you, like Martha, could set aside all the details concerning your life, set them aside and just come and sit at my feet and watch my feet and follow me where I go. And this one thing will not be taken from you. He's saying, if you give up your life for me, then you will find it. Right? The Apostle Paul in Hebrews 12 writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off, the King James Version says, lay aside. Let us lay aside every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What are the things in your life that need to be laid aside? What are the areas, the sin in your life that is tripping you up? In your mind? In your actions? Maybe it's in your words? What is it? What is it? Think right now, even right now. Don't shout it out, but just think in your mind. What are the things that you need to lay aside? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, basically what that means is we have testimony after testimony testimony after testimony so what is it that's holding us back from being all in what is it holding us back from going into the next gear what is it we have testimony after testimony after testimony and maybe we don't personally but that's what the apostle paul is saying is we have a crowd of witnesses maybe you aren't a witness But there's a crowd of witnesses, and that's what is so beautiful about the body of Christ. That's why we've been so adamant about discipleship and connection. Because you can have discipleship, but if you don't have connection, the enemy wants you to be isolated. Do you know that? Because if you get something twisted in your mind, there's nobody there to set you straight. 
And who's the one that puts something in your mind that isn't right? The enemy? Yourselves? Connection. Discipleship? Digging into the word? Understanding his truth? Letting him minister to your heart? Heal your wounds? Bring beauty from ashes? That's what discipleship does. But with connection, it's like fertilizer. Right? Think about a garden that doesn't have any hedges. What happens? It goes wild. Right? Things kind of get out of order. When you have connection, there's a body of Christ that surrounds you. And it becomes a hedge of protection around you. Right? And so to be able to have discipleship, planting all of those seeds, and then have connection, fertilizer, hedges, right? It's going to be fruitful. It's going to be fruitful. And what we recognized when we came back from our sabbatical is that we had a great ministry, but did we know Jesus? I don't know. That was the question. We had gotten really good at doing church. We'd gotten really good at doing ministry. But we have to account for our flock when we see Jesus face to face. And it came down to, do the people that God has entrusted us to disciple, <laughs> do they know Jesus? Do they have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or do they just have an experience with church? And to be honest with you, that was blood on our hands. And we're not okay with it. And we won't stop. We won't stop until it is rectified because we care. And there's people that aren't here anymore over the last eight weeks because they're supposed to be somewhere else. <laughs> there's really no other way to say that. But we love you and we care about you. And even as we were worshiping, I'm hearing all of the voices behind me. And I'm praising God because you get it. That's why you're here. You get it. And I know there's people at other churches or even in their homes that get it too. But they haven't been invited yet. And they won't come if they're not invited. It's just not our culture. People don't invite themselves to things. They wait for a personal invitation, and they wait for someone to bring them in to it because they feel uncomfortable. They feel insecure. I won't know anyone. Where will I sit? I'll be an outsider. There's all those thoughts. So call somebody this week and invite them to come. Like I said, this is the last of this series. So if this series has been like, Offensive 101, well, then you <laughs> don't have to worry next week, okay? <laughs> but I think I'm talking to family, and you guys understand, and you guys see what we're doing. We're stripping back the fluff and getting back to the one thing. So what is it that we need to lay aside? For the church, that's what we've asked the pastoral team. What is it that we need to lay aside? Could be permanently could be temporarily. We don't know. Jesus says. Sometimes he's just asking to see if we trust him. If we can see the crowd of witnesses. <laughs> right? 
That's your next point, L for lay aside. Lay aside. What do we need to lay aside? Okay, so let's recap. Okay, so we keep a low position at the feet of Jesus so we can focus on the one thing. We show adoration to Jesus by pouring out to recognize the role he has in our lives. And we lay aside our life, the comforts and the things of this world to make way for our Messiah. So then what? Well, the Apostle Paul writes on in Hebrews 12, and he says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's a process. There's a perfecting process. There's a really churchy word called sanctification, if you care about that. It's a process. It's the point. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because the joy awaiting him. What was the joy awaiting him? Us. Being with him. That was the joy he was looking forward to. So he endured the cross so that he could be with us, right? Disregarding its shame. He died a criminal's death in between two other criminals. He disregarded the shame of that so that he could be with us. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured for sinful people, you and I. That's us he's talking about. Then you won't become weary and give up. So what does that mean? We must maintain our focus on him. We must maintain our faith in him. We must maintain our position, our adoration. We must maintain the posture of laying things down. Because inevitably, I don't know about you, I did a whole decluttering thing last year. And somehow we accumulate things. And I feel like I need to declutter all over again. Like I just did this. We were just talking about, like, I emptied cabinets. I got rid of extra dishes and this, that, and the other thing. And I feel like I got to do it again. But that's the way it is in our lives too, right? It's like we lay this down and we lay that down and we position ourselves. And, oh, I adore you, Jesus. And here I am doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden I'm carrying all of this other stuff. Somebody said this, or this relationship ended, or this happened, and now I feel burdened again. (sighs) I have to continue to position myself at his feet. I have to continue to remember this posture of adoration for him and pouring out the things that are most valuable. I have to remember to continue to lay down things, even things that maybe I think are great and fantastic. They're good things and right things, like Martha. She wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't like she was sinning. Right? It was good things and right things, but it wasn't the best that God had for her. And so we must maintain. That's the last point, M for maintain. I don't know if you know, those that are taking notes, you guys see kind of what happened there. But God is so stinking cool, and I'll point it out here in a second. But God's so cool because I had most of this message written, and then I found out that it was going to be Palm Sunday. And as I'm working on my notes, God showed me that the points spelled out Palm for Palm Sunday. 
for position, A for adoration, L for lay aside, and M for maintain. And my prayer is that every Palm Sunday, and maybe even more often, is that every Palm Sunday we would remember to position ourselves in adoration, to lay aside what we need to lay aside so that we can maintain a relationship with Jesus and keep him the one thing. Do you guys see that? Do you see it personally? Because that's the most important. It can sound good. It can sound fluffy. And, oh, wow, that's so cute. It spells palm. But it's got to be personal. Very personal. For there to be change. Right? My prayer is that us as a church, as a whole, as a body of Christ, will continue to position ourselves at the feet of Jesus. That we will not drift into things that aren't as important in the details. Now, I'm a detail person. I'm, my, I've said this before, love my love language is professionalism. I'm a very detail-oriented person. I love things to be in order. I, I think Jesus loves order, too. Um, and I also think, I think that he loves details, and he loves service, and he loves all of those things. But not if we don't have him as our one thing, right? We went to a pastor's thing. Um, our denomination is amazing. The leadership is a leadership I'm proud to be under. And they did an Easter service for all of the um, denominational leaders because um, he said it's rare for a pastor to go to a church service that they didn't put on and that shouldn't be and so they put on a church service for us and it was amazing you guys and it was like super low-key and you know he didn't even try and preach because he knew his audience like you know <laughs> we've all like you know, looked through the text and, you know, for Holy Week and all of that stuff, right? But it was special because one thing that he said that he had seen on social media or something is that you can be really good at ministry and not have a relationship with Jesus. You can have a successful ministry and not have a relationship with Jesus. And he said he wrestled with that. But that's what we've been wrestling with, right? And so it was just so reassuring. And he looked at us and he said, here... Today, I don't want you guys to talk about your ministries. I don't want you to talk about your successes, your hiccups, your hurdles, all those things. I want you to talk about you, your family, your kids, right? And sometimes, especially in a setup and tear down church, we come to church, and what do we talk about? All the stuff that needs to get done, all of the ministry stuff all of the highs and the lows that are going on with our successes and failures and blah, 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 right? But how often do we have a conversation that's about you or the other person, right? And when you find that, you have found beauty, right? But even more than that, how often do we have a conversation about the one thing how often is that the focus? Now, I'm not saying you have to be like some 
you know, Bible preaching on a street person. And so it's my one thing. And so I'm, you know, all crazy now, you know. Be a human. Okay, you still have a life. But what he was saying yesterday was that we can carry these titles. And we do this in church too. Well, I'm the leader of this ministry or, you know, whatever, right? We can carry these titles. But what's most important is that you're a son and a daughter. Don't ever forget that. And I promise you, if you ever feel like you're doing all of this stuff, but you don't feel like a son and you don't feel like a daughter, we want you to come talk to us because that is more important. We would rather not have anyone serving and have everyone just be sons and daughters and just have worship with our voices, with the kids and with us. That is so much more valuable than checking off all the boxes just so that we can do ministry, but nobody actually is a son or a daughter of the Lord because nobody has their eyes focused on the one thing. And so I'm wrapping up this series, but I pray and I hope that that is the resounding echo in your hearts over the last eight weeks is the one thing that is Jesus. That's what all of this has been about. Let me pray for us. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to to silence the things of this world. Help us to put blinders on so that we can focus on you. God, silence the fear that is in our hearts of what people may think. Give us courage to say no to some things so that we can position ourselves at your feet. That you would restore in us an adoration for you. That the complacency that we have had with you, with our relationship with you, Jesus, with our experience at church would be revived right now in the name of Jesus we would have an adoration for you like none other. That we would be willing eagerly to pour out what is most valuable, which is our heart. You said our heart is what's most valuable. God, help us to know what it is that you want us to lay aside. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's certain kind of music God help us to know what those things are give us the courage to lay them down to put them at your feet yet again God help us to maintain simplicity in our life so that we can be strengthened in you Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blessed your life in such a powerful way. Come visit us here at Livingstones Church in person at Dorothy McElhinney Middle School in French Valley, California, every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. You can also watch us online on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Church Center, or at livingstones.tv. If God is using this ministry to touch and impact your life, 
and you would like to consider partnering with us in your giving, you can do so by giving in the Church Center app or by going to livingstones.tv giving. We hope you have a wonderful week.